This episode is sponsored by QuantStamp and Nexo.io. Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Coindesk's Michael Casey and Sheila Warren of the World Economic Forum as they explore the connections between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. This episode is brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Sheila Warren. Hello, and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Sheila Warren. It's finally 2022, the year we've all been waiting for. And that should surprise exactly nobody. Even though the calendar has turned, the world remains on a wild ride. Will crypto prices keep fluctuating wildly? Will 2022 be the year regulators embrace or maybe murder crypto? Will COVID-19 keep mutating? And how long exactly will it be until the world acclimates to the new normal? We could easily run a multi-episode arc on these questions, but today we're going to talk politics. Crypto creates strange bedfellows, as we've highlighted numerous times on this show, and Washington's no exception. Now, many of the most vocal political advocates these days do seem to skew to the right, or at least the center. For example, last year we had on Congressman Tom Emmer, the Republican congressman from Minnesota who's a co-chair of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. But the blue side of the aisle also has several prominent advocates, and this week we're honored to be joined by one of them, Congressman Darren Soto, Democrat from Florida, who's also a co-chair of the caucus. Last summer, Congressman Soto introduced two bipartisan bills, the Blockchain Innovation Act and parts of the Digital Taxonomy Act, which were the first blockchain bills to ever pass the House as part of H.R. 3723, the Consumer Safety Technology Act. Now, I think it's important to note that Congressman Soto and Emmer do not agree on a whole variety of issues, possibly even on most issues that the average voter pays attention to. But where they do align is on the importance of blockchain technology and the applications built using it for the future, and on the critical importance of U.S. regulators, legislators, and administrators paying attention and getting it right. And, at least in my opinion, that's politics at its best. The ability to create coalitions where interests and values are aligned and disagree constructively where they aren't. The increased attention on crypto over the past few months has given its advocates in Washington a bigger platform. As we've discussed on this show, late last year, the president's working group report on financial markets report, joined by the FDIC and the Office of the Controller of the Currency, or the OCC, released a report on stablecoins, and the momentum is only going to continue to accelerate. The bottom line is that a topic that was once a novelty issue for policymakers is now much, much more critical. What does all this activity mean for the future of the industry here in the U.S. and elsewhere? And given that crypto does have support from both sides of the aisle, at least in the House, and given what's at stake in terms of U.S. leadership for this mind-blowingly rapidly growing technology and industry, why has it not become a hallmark pillar of the Democratic platform? Put another way, what will finally move blockchain and crypto from dramatic headline to ordinary ingredient? Before we bring in Congressman Soto to help us think through these and other questions, let's welcome my co-host, Michael Casey. Hey, Michael. Hey, Sheila. So I, 2022, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, happy new year. <laughs> happy new year, indeed. Some things have changed, I guess, that last digit of the year, but really not a lot. Yeah, look, I think I'm very glad that we've, we finally got the congressman on here because, I mean, last year was a big year for regulation in crypto. I think this year is going to be another <laughs> big one. And it'd be really great to get his insights into where he sees it all going and, and whether or not it can be addressed from a bipartisan perspective. Yeah, let's do that. Congressman, we'd love to hear from you. 
What's your take on kind of the last few months of 2021? There was so much going on. We had House hearings, Senate hearings. Can you just give us your thoughts on all of that? Well, certainly first, we know that cryptocurrency is becoming an increased share of the economy. It's also becoming a, a currency of choice for international transactions, particularly among small businesses, as well as uh, to a certain extent investments. We're seeing communities of color embrace it as well for non-traditional financial institutional access to, to banking and other financial services. So those are exciting things. We also saw through the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed into law last year that many legislators who were wholly or partially ignorant of cryptocurrency got a big crash course in it. And while certainly the tax issues have brought up a whole host of things that we now have to work on, uh, one of the positive silver linings of them uh, was that one, it's recognition that cryptocurrency has arrived as a more mature industry now uh, and more is expected of the industry, but also that we've educated a bunch of senators and members of the House on both sides of the aisle about what cryptocurrency is. I still have a long way to go. So, Congressman, there was a, a hearing in the House that we spoke about on this show earlier in, this, in December, and it was actually quite interesting. Speaking of your point about how educated people have become, we were struck by the quality of the questions that were being asked and the sort of level of understanding. It really was like night and day from where we've been. Not every congressman totally has their head around it properly, but really quite impressed by some of it. In addition to education, I'd love to know whether you feel as if there is an acknowledgement now amongst lawmakers that this is not going away and whether they like it or not, they're going to have to accommodate it. Is it fair to say that we've crossed that chasm of you can't fight it anymore, whether it's good or bad, and we've just got to figure that out? Well, certainly including cryptocurrency revenue provisions in the bipartisan infrastructure plan was a clear and permanent recognition that cryptocurrency is a larger part of the economy now and more will be expected as with more old school types of financial institutions like banks and hedge funds and investment houses and others. So that was the first giant recognition uh, that cryptocurrency has now arrived. Uh, we're also seeing from uh, our financial services committee chair, Maxine Waters, uh, a recognition that Americans are increasingly making financial decisions using digital assets every day. She went into a long sort of opening on that, which I thought was case. And she is the chairwoman of one of the major committees that deal with this. I'm on one of the other committees, the Energy and Commerce Committee. We deal with the FTC side of uh, cryptocurrency and the Department of Commerce side. Uh, we also saw some great pointed questions by Representative Torres, Representative Austin Kloss on the Democratic side. And look, overall, when you talk about action, uh, you're looking at the only member of Congress who's actually passed cryptocurrency legislation out of the House in 2021. We were able to pass the Digital Taxonomy Act and the Blockchain Innovation Act in a larger bill. And both those bills set up long-term goals by having the Department of Commerce and the FTC do reports over the next year to talk about how we could promote cryptocurrency and also uh, to reduce uh, fraud and increase security in these transactions. Those bills are part of the uh, a larger tech bill that is pending in the Senate. And so you're looking at a person who's moved some legislation out of the House, the only bill last year to, to actually move on the subject. But where a lot of the real interesting action is also happening, but it's under the radar, is in the budget. So in 2021, 
uh, we filed a successful amendment into law to have IRS tax guidance be updated for cryptocurrency transactions. Uh, we also put in uh, an amendment into the appropriations package that passed into law last year uh, to protect consumers and uh, to boost marketing among the SEC and the FTC with regard to cryptocurrency. Those are no substitutes for major policies. And I'll tell you where we're going. One, we want to establish jurisdictions and definitions for digital assets, a narrow SEC jurisdiction that has gone too broad right now on FTC jurisdiction and CFTC jurisdiction, because digital assets can be futures, it could be a currency, it could be a security, and it could be a commodity in different aspects of it. So we have to establish those definitions. A lot of these definitions haven't been updated in decades. And then we want to also do a blockchain center of excellence in the Department of Commerce uh, to really kind of centralize a lot of the innovation that we're promoting uh, through the federal government. So there's a lot going on that we're working on, but we're teeing it up with these study bills. Uh, I'd rather us be there right away with the jurisdiction and definitions, but Congress still has a learning curve to go. QuantStamp is looking for talented people to join our team and help us secure the blockchain industry. Our clients include major blockchain projects like Ethereum 2.0, DeFi projects like Maker, Compound, and Aave, and global enterprises like Toyota. As a fully remote team, working for QuantStamp means a great work-life balance, an environment that values creativity and effectiveness, and compensation packages on par with big tech. Come work for the leading blockchain security company. Learn more at quantstamp.com careers. Nexo is a trusted and easy-to-use crypto platform where you can buy cryptocurrencies at the touch of a button and start earning up to 17% annual interest that is paid out daily. They support all of the major assets on the market and even allow you to swap one asset for another or borrow cash against your crypto without selling it. Nearly 3 million people in over 200 countries trust Nexo with their digital assets. So whether you're just getting started or you're a seasoned pro, get the most of your crypto today with Nexo at nexo.io. You talked about major policy moves, right? And I think the crypto community often has critiqued the lack of guidance from the SEC the ongoing piecemeal, reactive, not proactive approach. And I think there's good strategic reasons for that, or at least there are strategic reasons for that, whether they're good or bad. But there's a lot of people in the sector who are saying, we need something like the 1996 Telecoms Act here that just basically says, let's lay out the framework for this digital asset future, this Web3 future, these sort of like these new ideas that are going to frame the future of the internet. And that if we don't, the US is going to be left behind. Is there an appetite for that? And if not, like, how do you build it in this rather fractured environment that Washington represents? So first in our first term in the Congress in 2017 and 18, uh, at the end of that time, Congressman Warren Davidson and I filed the Digital Taxonomy Act and the Token Taxonomy Act. That lays out where we want to go. And we've wanted to go there since 2018. We're now in 2022. And so that gives you a good hint. But a lot of the Congress, they want to hear from the agencies. They want to learn a little more about it. Uh, 
Davidson's Republican. I'm a Democrat. We've been filing these bills every term, including this current term. Uh, so we know where we want to go, but we have to bring our colleagues along. And so that's what a lot of these bills are geared towards, is getting the agencies to finally submit comments to the Congress, getting the Energy and Commerce Committee, which is the only committee that's passed cryptocurrency bills, um, the committee I serve on, along as well as the Agriculture Committee, which has the CFTC portion, of course, the Financial Services Committee that has the SEC portions of it. So a lot of it is waiting for the Congress to fully be in a place of comfort, but Congressman Davidson and I and others in the Blockchain Caucus who have co-sponsored these bills for now three terms running, know where we want to go, are willing to accept input into it. But the key is we need certainty. We need certainty in jurisdiction. We need certainty in definitions. We can't use 1920s to 1940s definitions and securities laws for digital assets. I already mentioned before, it could be four different types of old school assets. And so we need to bring our laws in the 21st century, but much like the decades-long struggle to pass those laws, we are now in the 21st century struggle to get to appropriate frameworks for digital assets, and we'll continue to work on that going forward. I'm frustrated, everybody else is, but that's the Congress, right? Once we pass the law, it could be another 80 years or so until we get some major reforms, so we need to get it right. A lot of these definitions date back to post-Great Depression reforms. Not as much so, but some of them to Dodd-Frank. So uh, we know we, we got to get it right and we're going to continue. Uh, I'm a positive guy. We're going to continue to work with our colleagues uh, until this is done. But I, I get the frustrations of folks. That is the Congress. Uh, that's another sign that the cryptocurrency family has arrived because now you are frustrated with <laughs> it doesn't work as quickly as we want. But as we're passing laws that 340 million Americans are going to have to follow and will lead the charge for the global economy and cryptocurrency, we do need to get it right. Well, Congressman, I think we all appreciate your leadership on this. You know, it's, it's always so hard to think about how you regulate or legislate something that really represents a brand new innovation because the tendency, I think a very human tendency is to try to analogize it to things that came before. And of course, if you do that and you get the situation that you've described where is it a security, is it a commodity, it is all these different things. And certainly there are aspects of cryptocurrencies that resemble those things that already exist, but None of them capture it in its entirety. And that is certainly a challenging position to be in. And again, I commend you for your leadership. Um, so thinking about these hearings we had last year. So we had Chairwoman Waters, as you noted, to Michael's point, led a really fascinating hearing that really kind of blew the minds of quite a few of us in the space, just in terms of, again, the depth of knowledge that was demonstrated by the nuance in the questions that was asked. But then you had the Senate Banking Committee and you had a very different approach, tenor, tone from Senator Brown, Sherrod Brown. Both of these people are Democrats. Maxine Waters, Sherrod Brown, they're, they're both Democrats. They represent different you know, spots, let's say, in terms of the Democratic spectrum. But really curious to get your thoughts on those differences, which were quite manifest, at least in those hearings. And then in addition to that, how do you see the Democratic wing, you know, the, kind of the blue side of the aisle, embracing this or not? Do you see a difference between more centrist, let's say, or slightly left of center Democrats versus those who are maybe quite progressive? How are you seeing all that play out? So first of all, the Senate's old. They've always been old. They'll always be old. When you saw the Facebook hearings back in the day, it just exposed the lack of technical knowledge in the Senate. So I think regardless of who you have in that chair in the Senate, they're always going to be slower to embrace new technologies. 
because they simply aren't using these technologies. They're not familiar with them. They're reading off cue cards from their staff. The house definitely embraces change more quickly. We run every two years, adapt or lose, right? And so you're going to see usually the house both adapt and embrace changes more quickly than the Senate. They're in six-year terms. So uh, I think it's more a reflection of the chambers than it is a reflection of party. And look, as far as the Democrats and cryptocurrency, I'm a Democrat and I'm the only one who's passed bills and legislation in the budget related to cryptocurrency. The Republican colleagues of mine, we work very closely together on the blockchain caucus. They talk a big game, though, understand, and not a single one of them has passed a single piece of legislation on it. So we just need to understand that we Democrats are good at acting, but may not always brag so much about what we're doing. We always have to improve about it. We're also in charge. The responsibility of governing is falling to us. So there's always going to be, rightly so, criticism aimed at who the president of the United States is, the administration, who's in the majorities in Congress. And, and we accept those responsibilities. And uh, I thought it was a big move by the Financial Service Committee and by Chairwoman Waters to start looking towards acceptance of this and how we're going to move forward on it. I expect the House to always lead on these issues of technology, whether it's social media regulation or privacy on the internet, whether it's AI or whether it's cryptocurrency. As far as the spectrum, this is more familiarity with technology at the end of the day and not about uh, actual political philosophy. In the blockchain caucus and among those of us who work on cryptocurrency, we have Ro Khanna from Silicon Valley, who's very progressive and a dear friend of mine. We have myself, where I'm left to center, but probably less progressive than Roe is. And I represent the Central Florida area. Uh, we have folks who are more centrist, like Gottheimer from New Jersey and Representative Foster from Illinois. And then on the uh, Republican side of the aisle, we have uh, folks who are right of center to far right of center, such as Schweiker and uh, McHenry. Emmer and Davidson. And so we cross the spectrum and you'll see on any given cryptocurrency bill, those names over and over. And then some folks are starting to join the fight a little more like uh, Ted Budd, Eric Swalwell, Lisa Blunt Rochester, Susan Wild. And that represents constituents coming together and, and encouraging those members. So the folks who are actually doing the day-to-day -day work are across the spectrum. But like always, we Democrats work on a lot of policy issues. Yeah, well, Congressman, we certainly hope that with the coalition you've described and that, that you and others have, have painstakingly, I would imagine, built, that we'll see more activity in the House going forward. But maybe you can just kind of give our listeners a bit of a civics 101. Not all of them really understand how a bill becomes law. And while I refer all of them to Schoolhouse Rock, maybe you can just a quick rundown. So do you need the Senate support on these bills? And if so... What does it mean that you have, regardless of reason, that there does seem to be this divide between the House and the Senate in terms of understanding or at least tenor and approach towards this topic? So let's start from soup to nuts. First, defining the challenge. The challenge is we need regulatory and legal certainty to cryptocurrency. So that means we need definitions of when it's a currency, when it's a future, when it's a commodity, when it is a security. We need to establish the jurisdictions based upon that. So that's the challenge. And that's what we do with the Token Taxonomy Act and the Digital Taxonomy Act. Then it goes to the committees of reference. That's three committees right there. The Ag Committee for Futures and Commodities, as well as the Energy and Commerce Committee that I serve on. And then for securities, that's financial services. So now we already have to go through three committees 
or maybe get ag to waive their jurisdiction. And so that's why we broke it up to two bills so that we could have one that just goes for energy and commerce and another that goes to financial services. So from there, those committees have hearings, then we have a vote on those bills, and then they go to the floor eventually for a vote on the House floor. And then yes, the slower, less adaptable, more reflective rant on chamber, the Senate has to file and pass a same bill, or they have to take up our House bill and pass it out. So they could have hearings, and they usually will, or they could simply take the House bill and pass it and send it to the president's desk. And then President Biden, I believe if there's general consensus, particularly bipartisan consensus, he'll sign that bill into law because he is looking towards future along with a lot of others. Look, a lot of the youngest members of Congress are Democrats and are very tech savvy. So we are particularly pushing this area. When you talk about areas that are developing a lot of this, like Silicon Valley, that's mostly represented by Democrats, as well as New York, as well as Chicago. So a lot of the constituents are represented by folks who are in these suburban, urban tech clusters. And so there's a lot of push for newer members and and members in general to to work on these issues. But it goes from an idea to bills, to committees, to passing the House, possibly a similar track in the Senate. That bill has to then be exactly identical. And then it goes to the president's desk. Uh, So a little bit of uh, a little bill on the Hill, cryptocurrency style for today. Okay, that's very, very useful, Congressman Soto. I want to just go a little bit further down on this idea of the spectrum. Look, I'll put all my cards on the table. Like I would consider myself certainly left of center. I've always been a fairly liberal in the classic American sense of that word, you know, somewhat progressive thinker. And I think Sheila would probably self-identify the same way. She would also probably tell you that, you know, she was right, Sheila, a student in your namesake's class, at least at one point, Elizabeth Warren did teach you at Harvard. That is true. For those of us who were very upset in 2008 at the collapse of the banking system and the sort of the need to go after Wall Street on this, Elizabeth Warren was a bit of a hero. And it's very frustrating for a lot of people in crypto who consider themselves to be progressive on the left to see her basically using it as a whipping boy as she has been. I don't, need, I don't want you to comment on her, by the way. I'm just trying to like get to the bottom of how this works. Because ultimately, there is a story to be told out there about how this technology, if used right, if regulated properly, if, if managed in the right way, could be an effective mechanism for undermining the power of Wall Street and for bringing power back to the people. What I want to go with this is how do we get that story out? Because as much as you're right in the sense that like treat this as a technology and smart young people will understand that, the biggest barrier you face is like this question, is it good for society or not? Is it and you're going to get this backlash of, oh my God, it's, it's destroying the environment or it's a whole bunch of rich kids getting rich on it, all of which have evidence of truth around it, but it's not the full story. What are you doing and, and what can be done to like at least give some sort of like moral weight to how this could be, if done right, a solution to some of these things that progressives actually care about? Well, Coindesk can start by interviewing folks like me who are working on the issue in a thoughtful way rather than uh, focusing on just flashy senators that have a quote or two out there on Twitter, right? That's a good start. This interview is a good start. And let's talk about being consistent with our, our values. So why am I involved in it as a left to center Democrat? One, I believe it's the future of small businesses doing international services. I represent the Orlando area. We have tourists coming in from around the world. If you want to get a a local travel agent to help you put together the best Disney Universal SeaWorld trip in the world, you could do that, have the transaction be done via cryptocurrency, 
and not have all these exchange rates, all these other transaction costs to this so that an Orlando travel advisor can advise someone in New Zealand and Argentina, China and Germany uh, with very little transaction. So international small business service is really important to me. Two remittances, another huge area. I represent a diverse area in Central Florida. We have folks from literally almost every country. Folks come to Disney and then some folks stay, right? So you have a lot of folks sending money back to their families in uh, various countries. So remittances, I think this is going to revolutionize it. Yes, cryptocurrency is used as an investment for some folks, and that's fine. And, and I think that needs to be left up to the individual person. But I believe that this is going to help small businesses and help uh, diverse families with these two huge hurdles that they're paying way too much money to enter market transactions and, and be able to save money. And so that's consistent with my values as a Democrat. I do believe there needs to be some both regulatory certainty and making sure we're protecting consumers. So it's an appropriate in investment tool, just like people invest in foreign currencies, right? Or in commodities in general. It's another thing you can invest in. But there needs to be the regulation to make sure we don't have things like pump and dump, where it goes up and it goes down. By the way, that still happens with the stock market too. I mean, look at the Dow shooting back and forth, but having rules of the road so that if people are blatantly doing something like jacking up the price and then selling, uh, you know, that's something that we need to make sure you can't do, especially if it's someone who can move the whole market or a few folks. So there's some regulatory issues to protect consumers, but that is how we make it better. It's not that we shouldn't have this robust currency market out there. Um, the other thing is um, making sure that we have reforms in cyber hacking. One of the things that is really frustrating to me is cyber hackers, currency of choice is cryptocurrency. That's how they shut down the colonial pipeline and then they got paid into cryptocurrency, right? Now, the good news is it's a permanent record, right? You can't get rid of it. So in the long run, if we can encounter where those transactions are stored, we have a permanent record of your terrorist plot, right? And we can take that money and bring it back to those who pay this ransom. But uh, there definitely needs to be better rules of the road. Uh, and in the case of the Colonial Pipeline, the federal government did claw back a lot of that money, not all of it. So we can't ignore these challenges that cryptocurrency is now being used as ransom for cyber hacks or pumping and dumping and, and things like that, I view those as challenges, not as barriers. And as a regulator, my job is to help smooth over those things with the appropriate statutory response that can then create better confidence in the market. So those are just two challenges, but we see nefarious acts happen in all sorts of financial industries, from banking to stock markets, to bonds, to foreign currency exchanges, to precious metals. So any financial industry is going to have these sorts of issues. And like with those other industries, we should face them from a totally policy perspective of trying to address them, uh, not just condemn one area of the financial sector versus the other. That can make for short-term fodder, but uh, long-term, it's not a wise policy. Congressman Soto, thank you so much for, for laying out so articulately the potential, but also kind of the challenge here. You know, there are a lot of narrative frames that surround crypto, some positive, maybe too positive, some negative, arguably too negative. And I think it is uh, for all of us to sort of figure out what's that middle path forward that acknowledges that, yes, there is a need for regulation legislation to so be responsible about innovation. At the same time, this is a tremendously exciting new 
uh, innovation and new space that really could uh, change lives for the better. So thank you so much for joining us. I will take liberty wishing you a happy new year. I think this year is going to be uh, quite a ride, uh, continuing the roller coaster we've been on over the past two years. Uh, but thank you again so much. And of course, to my host, Michael Casey, and to all of you, a happy 2022, wishing you joy, health, and you know, strap in. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> Join us next week for another episode of Money Reimagined. You've been listening to Coindesk's Money Reimagined. This episode featured Sheila Warren, Michael J. Casey, and guest Congressman Darren Soto. Our theme song is Shepherd. This episode was produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Please send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.